imagine that you want to travel to Georgia from New York. And you're driving, and as you're driving, you notice uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and you get to wondering, I think I'm heading in the wrong direction. Anybody? Right? What do you do when you're heading in the wrong direction in that scenario? Do you keep going, or do you get off and turn around and go in a different direction? Because that would be the thing to do. You realize that you're going in the wrong direction. You have a change of mind, because I really want to get to Georgia, and Connecticut and Massachusetts are not getting me to Georgia. So I have to get off. I have to have a change of mind first. And then the action that I have to do is I have to head in a different direction. Hold on to that for a moment. Because since Genesis, God established this ideal environment in which he wanted to have a relationship with his creation. And sin entered and broke that, right? That free will that people say, I don't know why God gave us free will. He should should, should have made us robots and we would have loved them. No, robots can't love anybody. And the purpose of a relationship, if you've been in any, is that you want to be loved. You want to love. And God wanted to establish that from the very beginning, but the moment that broke, we know the story. Adam and Eve got kicked out of that Garden of Eden, and for the rest of their life, they try to concoct a way to get back, and that's why we have so many different religions that try to tell you that all rogues lead to heaven, which is not true. The only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Amen? So so now we have this situation in which this relationship was broken, and slowly but surely, historically, as you read the Bible, you begin to realize that these people that God wants to have a relationship with don't want to have a relationship with him. And they begin to venture into the world, and they watch things that are going on with the people around them, and they say, we want this, and we want that. And God reminds them, no, no, don't look to the left and don't look to the right. You keep your eyes on me. You see, I'm the one that's going to keep you. I'm the one that's going to sustain you. I'm the one that's going to protect you. I'm the one that's going to provide for you. Are you listening, church? God wants this relationship with, with a people that didn't want a relationship with him. It's no different today. God wants a relationship with you and your loved ones and the world as a whole, yet the world doesn't want to have a relationship with him. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets were raised up and God would say, please tell them to turn away from what they're doing and come back to me. Prophet after prophet, Isaiah, Amos, Joel, all of them cried. And they were like, yo, come back to God. Give that up. Don't do that. You're not doing it right. You turn around. That's all the prophets spent their lives doing to their own demise because they were Jewish too. It's like if they're saying, we're going to kill all the Jews because you're a prophet of God. You're not exempt. You're going down too. 
So I'm trying to get you to do the right thing. I'm, I'm saying, listen, God is saying, don't do this. And they kept saying, don't worry about it. We got this. <laughs> How many of you have said that or are saying that? We got this. I don't need God. I can handle this situation. Well, that's what they thought too. And God kept telling them, if you keep going that way, I'm going to act. I'm going to act in a loving way. I'm going to allow the circumstances that come into your life to squeeze you so much that you're going to have to come back to me. That you're going to have to turn around. That you're going to have to want me more than you want anything else. And they didn't believe it. And we know the stories. If you watch the Bible, he raises an army from the north, and they come in and take them into captivity for hundreds of years, takes them away. They can't believe this. They believe God would allow this to happen. It's what you wanted. He only gave you more of what you wanted. You didn't want him, so he gave you more of what you wanted. The southern tribe felt the same way. They said, oh, that happened to them. That's not going to happen to us. Hundred years passed by, and the same thing happens to them. They said, no, we're the apple of God's eye. That's never going to happen to us. That's what a lot of Christians think. It's not going to happen to me. I carry my Bible. I got a few scriptures down. I show up to church. I'm doing service. God is surely going to bless me. Wrong again. You see, because what happened with them was this thing called idolatry. What happened with them is that they violated God's commandments. And we should have no other gods before us. No other God, small g before us. Some of us have done that. Some of us have been in a relationship in which, you know, it drew us away, right? Some of us have pursued some things, and, and we, you know, we moved away from God just a slight degree, but we know that a slight degree can always lead to a great chasm between me and God. In the Old Testament, God was crying out to people through his prophets, and he was saying, Repent. Fast forward into the New Testament, it's no different. Fast forward into today, the 21st century, it's no different. God is calling people to repent. We're in week three of Lent, which means that tomorrow will be the 14th day, which means that there are certain things that we've conversed already in this room that Lent is supposed to represent, and one of the things is repentance. It's not only giving something up, it's not only fasting, but it's also repentance. And, and repentance is an amazing thing for us to enter into because a lot of us think that we repent once and it's done. And it's not. And there's a repentance of faith and there's a repentance for our sins. Before you come to Christ, you have to repent for your unbelief of Christ. You have to see that. You have to make that connection right now in this room. Because if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, that he is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, then you miss the boat. If you, when you said a confession of faith and all you did was say, God, forgive me, what were you asking forgiveness for? Because personally, I didn't believe in God. 
I didn't believe in this Jesus character. I didn't believe God had anything to do with me. Like, like that's where I was in my life. So when I came to Christ, I was taught that I had to repent because of my unbelief. And in the New Testament, you see that happening also because what he's telling them is to repent because you guys crucified Jesus. You didn't believe who he was. So the message goes out. He tells his apostles before he ascends, he says, go out and preach this message of faith and repentance in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and because of your unbelief, you've been condemned already. So that's the first step. I need to repent of my unbelief. I don't believe this, this Jesus guy. That's good for you, Pastor. I appreciate you trying to convince me. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to present the truth to you and allow you to decide. Now, that can't happen if there's so many lies in your life and you're believing them more than you believe in the truth. I'm simply presenting the evidence. And there's a scripture in the Bible that we have heard over and over and over again. And it's John 3.16. Everybody's familiar with it? Well, I'm going to read it. And for just for today, I want you to remain sitting and just open your Bibles. You know, and just take notes. Pay attention. I truly believe that, that if you're serious about growing and maturing in Christ, that there's a work you need to do, right? And it says here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to do this again. It's on the screen. I, I want you to highlight the word that sticks out for you the most. I'll read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word that sticks out for me is believe. Let's take that word out of there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It makes no sense at all. There has to be a belief in him, in the only begotten son. In order for you to be able to walk with God, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Savior. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So there's a belief that has to happen in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't know anything about salvation. You know, I, you know, I heard these things, you know, bouncing around, but I didn't know anything about salvation. I knew about church. Every time I walked by the church, I, I knew, you know, I, I would go to these tent meetings, and, you, you know, you were, if you were in the Bronx, they set up these big tents in the parks, and, and you would go and get a chance to listen to some fiery preachers. You know, you didn't have to go into the tent. You could stay all the way outside and smoke your dope and, and drink your beer, but listen to these guys preach, and here's the mistake that I made. I got too close. And the word of God does not return void. If you're listening to the word, it's going to get inside you. It's going to nestle because it's like a seed that begins to germinate inside of you. And when you get yourself in a hot mess, when you get yourself in trouble, you remember, wait a minute. I heard about this God who saves. 
I heard about this God who delivers. I heard about this God who came to set the captives free. Wait a minute. I need to find out more about him. And then God begins to work in your life and put some crazy Christians in your life. And, 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 and then he begins to send people to knock on your door. And, and you're walking down the street and they give you a track. And all of a sudden, your crazy cousin gets converted. And you're like, wait a minute. If it could happen for him, it could surely happen for me. He says this in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Ooh. So we need to repent first and foremost from our unbelief. And you're sitting here and you don't believe in Jesus. Listen, you're in a good place right now. This is the truth that's coming into your life. What you do with it is up to you. But listen to these words. I didn't put them in there. I didn't make this up. This is the author that put these things in here. Just know that the author is God. Amen? Amen. And he says, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation. Okay, so what's the condemnation? That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Imagine that, that light comes into darkness and you embrace darkness rather than the light. But why? Because you love what you're doing. You love what you're doing. And he says this, that men love the darkness. That's confusing to me. Because in darkness, you can't see. You're constantly reaching to try to make your way through things. And it says this, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest its deeds should be exposed. I remember going into places in my previous life as an agent of the city and going into these places we call crack dens, where it's completely dark. When you shine light in there, I mean mag lights, you would see the people who were in those rooms literally go, ah, stop that. Because they've been in darkness so long that they didn't know what light felt like. I got to tell you something, that this is what we need to repent from. First and foremost, we need to repent from the fact that we don't believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and does what he says he does and will do what he said he will do. That he is the begotten son of God, the Messiah and Savior, the sacrificial lamb that was sent to pay the price for your sin, past, present, and future. And that's a mighty load to carry just for me. I can't imagine collectively in this room piling up, we wouldn't have enough space, of the sin that's in this room. Yeah, I'm not talking about past now. Come on now. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Right? But that's the beauty of it, that when God made this move and he made this act, he wasn't uh, uh, haphazardly thinking, all right, they, 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 they're going you know, to accept me and they're never going to sin again. 
First and foremost, we have to accept the fact that he's Messiah and Savior. And that he who believes in him will not perish, which indicates that there is a chance to perish. Hell wasn't made for you and me, guys. Why you choose to go to this eternal place where you will be separated from God and suffer. How many of us like to sleep? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> right? you'll, you'll never sleep in hell. You'll be tired but never sleep. You'll be hungry and never eat. You'll be thirsty and your thirst will burn inside you and it will never be quenched. That's not me. That's the Bible. Read it. It'll be gnashing of teeth. It'll be these knowing that goes on. Now, a lot of people don't want to preach about hell because they want to make it friendly. Well, I'm not here to be friendly. I'm here to help you to change your mind and change the direction that you're traveling because it's taking you further and further away from God. And sheep that wander away from God get devoured. I didn't make that up either. It's not the Lion King. This is the truth. This is the truth. Sheep wander off because they think that the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, you don't want to talk about that, do you? What begins to happen is you drift, you wander. All of a sudden, you stop coming to church. All of a sudden, your Bible starts collecting dust. All of a sudden, the music you listen starts to change. The friends you start frequenting will change. The places you didn't go before, now you're going to. And slowly but surely, you get a heart and heart. And in a heart and heart, what it begins to do is you creep back into it. And you know how destructive you have been. And those things re-up. And there you go again. And I'll look, I'll go down the street one day and I'll see you and I'll say, hey, brother, how you doing? And you'll do this. Oh, how you doing, pastor? I remember a young man that used to come here. Crazy how his life ended. But I remember seeing him one day in Union Square. And he was sitting and I was walking with my wife. We had been on a date, and we were walking together, holding hands and walking down the street. And I, I'm walking. The guy has a sign up and says, man, I'm hungry, and I'm homeless. Uh, help me. And I'm walking. I read the sign. And I, walk. I said, Ma, I know that guy. See, he sat right there. Right there he sat. I said, Ma, that's Sean. That's Sean. She was like, no, it can't be. Why? His hair was knotty. His face was filthy. His fingernails were disgusting. He, he was, like, he was like, like the devil did a job on him. And I stopped and I told my wife, she said, no, that can't be. I said, Ma, that's Sean. I went over to him and he looked at me and our eyes locked. And he said, Pastor, just get away from me. Just like that, he told me. I grabbed him, I hugged him, he started to cry. I said, Sean, just come home, Sean. Just come home. They didn't want to. See, you can't change someone that doesn't want to change. And when they, caught, they get caught up in the grips, what happens is there is a lie that's perpetrated upon them that they have no control over. 
And it takes people like us to stand in the gap and begin to cry out for them. And I'm not talking about nice prayers, guys. I'm talking about you ripping your shirts because your, your prayer, listen to me, if your prayer depended on a loved one getting to heaven, how far would they get? I know you didn't come to hear this today, right? You, you need to hear something nice <laughs> with a happy ending, right? But this is the truth. And I know this to be true. And I know that also the truth sets us free. Amen? Amen? So it's important for us to embrace this and realize, man, now, long story short, Sean perished. Like Sean passed away. It was, it was, a, it was a horrific, horrific um, end of his life to such a good beginning. Um, but our unbelief will cause us to, to believe a lie rather than the truth. And the lie provides us with a sense of instant gratification. So God tells us to wait. The enemy tells us you can have it right now. And you can have it your way. You don't have to listen to those people anymore. Just listen to me. See, the world, the devil, and your flesh want nothing to do but to destroy you. The world wants you to conform to their way, what they're doing. The devil wants you to perform. He's pulling the strings. He's telling you where to go, how to move, how to shake. And your flesh wants you to adorn yourself. Your pride and your ego. Look at me. Look at me. Party doesn't start until I show up. Things don't happen until I'm there. Remember I said early on the delusion that we create and we assume that that's our lives and it's not? But we're caught in it. Trapped. Light comes into the world to expose the darkness and men prefer darkness rather than light because of their evil deeds. First thing you gotta repent from is your unbelief. The next thing now as believers that we have to repent about is our sin. Now, I say this real simple because unbelief is sin also. But now you are a believer and you're walking with God. The minute you say yes to Jesus Christ, the minute you believe in him as a Messiah and Savior, the Bible says that he deposits within you the Holy Spirit. Now that's a, that's a teaching for a lifetime. But, but the Holy Spirit now begins to help you in what we refer to as this progressive sanctification. Progressive is progress. Okay? Movement is not progress. Okay? If there's no change in your life, you're not progressing. Everybody understand that? So this progressive sanctification, the word sanctification simply means that God wants to make you more and more like his son. He's not here to make you happy. He's here to make you holy. And that's going to be a process because you're rejecting and refusing the new you that you have to be. You with me? Amen? If you say that, then I'll keep going. All right? Just, I just 
need to know. All right? So, 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 so understand that. So what begins to happen in the Bible, it talks about this thing called repentance. And the word that's used in Greek is this word called metanoia. Metanoia. And what it is, it's, it's an absolute and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Now, this may include sorrow and regret, but one of the things that it has to do is you have to have a change of mind. You have to realize that what you're doing is not honoring to God. Well, how do you know this? How don't you know this? You will not know this unless you're reading God's word. Because you have to take your life and put it alongside God's word and see if it connects. Your life, God's word. I shared this last night and I shared this the other day with some brothers. And I said, I, I used to cuss a lot, right? Like, <laughs> I drop an F-bomb just to make it nice, right? It's like, you know, you use all kinds of words. You create your own words, right? But as I started coming to church, and even in my first year in coming to church, I was still like, you know, letting, letting some words slip in here, slip out there, especially, you know, having to deal with my anger issues and road rage and stuff like that, right? You look at me funny, it was on, you know, like that kind of stuff, right? But I started to read God's word as I was instructed. I'm grateful that I came into a place, um, small church in, in Williamsburg, that took me in, took my family in, and nurtured me, and, and taught me how to grab a hold of God. Taught me how to fast, taught me how to pray, taught me how to do service and, 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 and try to live holy. And I started to read the word, and I came across this word, and it said that the same, now, now you know on Sundays, and even, you know, we come to church, and what do we do? We lift our hands, right? Every now and then we do a little Christian thing, right? We're singing words. They have no cusses, right? And, and, and then we leave church and boom, it's gone. And I said I had to take my life and God's word and see if they connect. And I came across this word that said that you, the same mouth that you use to praise God, you're cursing man who's made in the image of God. So when they unpacked it for me and expounded on it, what that meant was that you're cursing at God. And I don't want to curse at God. I agree, I'd rather curse at you than curse at God. But I got to understand that that word, when it came into my life, it changed me. Your, your life is not going to change if you're not reading God's word. Like, let's be honest. Do you have a Bible? Do you read your Bible? How often do you read your Bible? Are you part of a fellowship or a group in which the Bible is being read and it's being studied and, it's being, and you're being held accountable to it? Are you part of that community? Because you have to see your life, you have to see the word, and you have to see if it connects. And if it doesn't connect, then you need to repent. As a believer, you need to repent. What does repent mean? It says you have to have a change of mind. You have to know that what you're doing based on God's word is not honoring to God because now you're not offending me. You're offending God. And how many of us in this room want to offend God? Of course, not intentionally, but unintentionally, unaware, you're doing it. You're doing it. And again, I say we're talking about repentance for believers. 
And this progressive sanctification is a process. I understand that. Stop saying you're in a process if you don't have the tools and you're not practicing that process. Right? You can't say you're in recovery and you got no sponsor. You're not doing any step work. You're not making any meetings. Because if that's what you're not, if you're not doing those things, then you're just loitering. You're coming for the coffee and the cookie or to hook up. That's not recovery. That's why you'll be at it for a long time because you didn't come in to get the maximum from it. You came to get the maximum for you. Yeah, we, we're quiet up in here. Either you're sleeping or you're just quiet and you're saying, enough, you're beating me up enough, please stop, I don't want it no more. Good, I'm glad you're at that place because we need to repent. We need to have a change of mind about the things we're doing, man. Because you're not offending me, you're offending God. It's offensive to God. So, so metanoia is just that. It's the definition that they give is the changing, it's the turning from sin, it's regretting sin and turning from it. It, it, it reminds us, first of all, you have to change your mind, and then, based on changing your mind, you have to change your action. Change your mind, good. I'm driving, remember? I'm, go, I'm gonna go to Georgia, but I'm on 95 North somehow, and I just passed Connecticut, and then it says Massachusetts coming, and I realize, wait a minute, I'm going the wrong way. Now, I'd be a fool if I keep going, because I'm not going to get to Florida. I think I'll get to Canada if I keep going. Right? So I got to get off, change your mind, because I'm doing something wrong, and I got to head in a different direction. Okay, it's not a 360, it's a 180. See, a 360 is going to get you right back where you were. It's a 180. Amen? So, so, so we have to be mindful of this because then uh, Paul and Peter and, and Jesus and John the Baptist begin to preach about repentance. And, and he says something really, really powerful to all of them. He says, you, you all need to show evidence of your repentance. You all need to show evidence of your repentance. You have to have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of your disposition, a change of the direction that you've been going on. Listen to me. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. God's life, God's word. Don't connect. You need to repent. Your life, God's word. Your lying doesn't connect. You need to repent. Your stealing doesn't connect. You're using your words to hurt people. Doesn't connect. You're using your actions to be exclusive. I'll hang out with you, but not you. Doesn't connect. Now, there are reasons, right? That person is not right mind. They're not doing what I'm doing. I also know people, place, and things are real things. So if I need to separate myself, I'm going to kindly say no. And there's nothing wrong with that. person may not understand it, but for your own safety, what it says, right? Right? The wise person sees trouble and heads in a different direction. A fool sees trouble and keeps going. My God, I'm good. I got this. I can hang out with two crazy people. I won't be crazy. And it says, one apple ruins a whole bunch. 
right? So after a while, all that Christianese in you will disappear because you're hanging out with people that are not practicing what you're trying to practice. So he says this, he says, okay, so what's got to happen is there has to be a change of mind, but the, the result of a change of mind also has to lead to a change of actions. In Luke chapter 3, 8 through 14, I'm going to read only 8, it says, do the things that show you really have changed your hearts and lives. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, so you must change your hearts and lives. Come back to God, and he will forgive your sins. Then the Lord will send the time of rest. In Acts 26, 20, it says, he began telling the people that they should change their hearts and lives and turn to God and do things to show they really had changed. Does everybody see that? Like you can't continue to walk around as a believer and think that it's okay to do what you're doing and that God's blessing is upon your life. You're just living life on life's terms. You're not necessarily blessed. The fact that you're not hanging out with some crazy folk, you know, you're okay. The fact that you're making some meetings is okay. The fact that you're coming to church is okay. But is that enough? Is that enough? Because here's what I know about the rooms. The rooms talk about continuance. The rooms talk about carrying this message to others because it's worked for you. If it hasn't worked for you, you can't carry it to others. In Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples. You can't make disciples if you're not being disciple because you're rejecting God's word. Your life and his word are not connecting. He says that you must be disciple. He says that you, as a disciple person, are going to disciple others. That's how the church grew. From 12 to 2.1 billion Christians, the number one religion in the world. Not because people sat down and didn't repent. Not because people sat down and just came in and punched the clock and showed up and reserved their seat. But because they took the message and began to live it out, begin to carry it out, begin to embody it. It became who they are so that people will look at you and say, you know, there's something different about you, Ross. Something different about you. You got the same hair and the same glasses. I like those earrings, but there's something different about it. There's a radiance going on. There's an attitude change that has happened. I don't see you scratching nobody's eyes no more. You're good, right? So, 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 so there's a change of mind and a change of action. Why? That doesn't matter to you anymore. I don't care what people say about me. I don't. I care about what God says about me now. Mind you, listen to me. Listen to me because this is important. This is, where we, this is where we miss out. When you say you don't care what people say about you, you have to be mindful that if you care about what God says to you about you, it will reflect in your interactions with others. Right? Because if you care about what God says about you and there's a character that he's building in you, then people will see that and you'll be concerned about what they think about you because you're living for God. So people will say, eh, I don't care what you say about me. Yeah, I care. That means I'm not representing my father correctly. Like I'm not demonstrating his love, his mercy, his compassion towards the people around me. So the people will say, man, you know, Pastor Gus, he's all right. He's a little radical sometimes, but, you know, he's all right. <laughs> like, really? So 
just be mindful that we have to be able to look at that. There's a story in the Bible, really quick, because I talked about changing your mind and changing your actions. And you probably know this story already. You probably read it several times. But I want to take it to us because it's important for us to look at it in the way that it needs to be read. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 19. And it's a story of Zacchaeus. Anybody remember Zacchaeus? No? Okay, good. Glad. Okay. Luke chapter 19 reads like this. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Just let me just set that up so you understand what's going on here. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and tax collectors at that time, even today, I mean, <laughs> if you work for the IRS, you don't go around saying that in parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so this chief tax collector, it says here that he was a chief calculator, so it identified him as that. It didn't identify as a son of Abraham, doesn't identify him as a Jewish person. It gives him a title of tax collector and a rich man. How did he get rich? Well, the tax collectors at that time worked for the government, and the government was Rome. And Rome was the enemy of the Jews. So his own people looked at him and said, yo, that guy's a loser. That guy's an enemy of us. Not only is he working for Rome, but he's robbing us. Why? Because the way he made his money was that he charged you twice the tax that you were supposed to pay. Because he took his part and then gave Rome's part. And Rome didn't mind the shenanigans that was going on because Rome was getting their money. Whatever you did, that was up to you. We've been in those businesses before, right? Okay. So, so it goes on, he said, he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, mind you, again, the Bible doesn't expand on this, but it allows us to go into commentaries and realize that this man already had heard about Jesus. Jesus' reputation was already, you know, growing and, and going around and, and doing, you know, the, the kind of stuff that was happening. And people were, oh, my God, this guy, Jesus is amazing. you got to meet him. you got to see him. So he's coming through town. It says, but could now because of the crowd. So he wanted to see Jesus. So imagine a parade. Right? And, and, and Jesus is walking, but you're not in the front. You're probably the third or fourth tier because that's how it levels out, right? The road to parades. Normally you get there first, you got the front line, and then the next line, the next line, the next line. So imagine he's in the third line and he's doing this because the Bible says he's short and he's trying to see and he's trying to see over people's head. Now that wasn't only the problem, but the minute people saw with Zacchaeus, they were like, right? You know, like, get out of it. They were getting even with him because the Bible says, okay, so he was short of stature, so he got slick, and he said, nah, you're going to keep me from seeing Jesus. It says that he ran ahead, he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus saw him, he looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, who's they? The haters. That's who it is. Right? The people that got theirs but don't want you to get yours. Everybody see that? They all complain, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, who did Jesus come to hang out with? I don't understand this. Like, this is, you know, bugging me out. Like, first you complain He's going to go to a sinner because the Bible is clear. He came to seek that which was lost. 
right? He, he didn't come. In fact, it says, physician, he thyself. Those people that were good, you know, they didn't want to bother with him because they had everything they needed, everything they wanted. And somehow, when you have everything you need and everything you want, there's no room for God. Right? And God quickly shines a light on you and begins to squeeze your life in a way where those things you made your gods slowly begin to disappear so that you can run to the one true God. Now watch what happens here because I said you have to have a change of mind and a change of action. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I take in anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now again, change your mind, change your action. What's happening here, we don't see what Jesus said in his house. We don't see what Jesus was talking about that pierced his heart and made him want to change his mind and change his actions. I'm sure that Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. I'm sure he was talking about repentance. I'm sure he was talking about a new life and being born again. And this young man heard this and he was pierced. And because of it, it says, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And I love this part. By taking anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. How much did he charge? He charged double. You talk about a change of mind. You talk about a change of action. He wasn't going to give back what he took. He said, I'm going to give twice as much what I took. Again, what is repentance? It is a change of mind, but it's also a change of action. You can't just say you repent and then not change your actions. Zacchaeus was not liked. He was not cared for. But there's one thing we have to understand. That when you repent, changing your mind about your sin, sin no longer becomes something that you're going to toy with. Not something you're going to carry around with you and decorate and adorn yourself with. It's something that you're going to put down and you're going to walk away from and never look back. That's what that looks like. That's what that looks like. There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And the godly sorrow, like I said, is you saying, this worldly sorrow is you saying, I'm sorry. The back of your mind is saying, damn, I got caught. So now I got to clean it up. So now I bring you flowers. I say, I'm sorry, baby. I love you. I'm never going to do it again. And every now and then, I might shed a tear. But inside, I'm not changing. I got caught. I got exposed. And rather than owning it and repenting from it and changing my mind and changing my action to secure my relationship, that's, that's what godly sorrow is. I, I bought this suitcase here to kind of illustrate. And if you're listening online, I got a suitcase and it's labeled sin. So, this is my sin. It's not your sin. 
<laughs> it's my sin. Right? Yeah. It is a carry-on. I, 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 I take it with me everywhere. Everywhere. The person who says I'm sorry says they're sorry but still walks away from that situation with their sin. Just walk away. I'm sorry. They believe me. I was sincere. Shed a tear. You know, I washed dishes. I cleaned the house. I took them where they wanted to go. Right? Come on now. Stay with me. Stay with me. But there was no change. I took it with me. I carried it with me. I, I, I finagled a little bit and I said, man, I got caught here, but if I change this, I'm going to get caught again. That's not true. A liar is a liar. A cheater is a cheater. That's not something we do outwardly. It is an attitude of your heart. Okay? We're going to have a conversation about that later. <laughs> but the person who repents and has a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of disposition drops it and walks away and never looks back. Now, it doesn't mean that that sin may not pop up again. But it says to me that I've repented so I can speak to that sin and said, Satan, get thee behind me. You, you have no hold on my life anymore. I have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I have been set free. I have been delivered from that sin. Now, as we wrestle with this thought of sin, I want to walk really quick to what true repentance looks like. True repentance involves a sense of awareness of one's own guilt, sinfulness, and helplessness. That's why repentance is so important for us to realize that we're doing something wrong. I want to be able to come to God and be able to do that. The next thing is true repentance apprehends or takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. I'm throwing myself at the mercy of God. I'm asking for God's forgiveness and God, I'm repenting. True repentance means a change of attitude and action regarding sin. Hatred of sin turns a repentant person away from his or her sin to God. I got to hate that sin. That sin has harmed me. It's hurt me. It's hurt the people I love. It's hurt the relationships I've been in. It's hurt my finances. I can't talk to my kids. I'm not invited to Thanksgiving or Christmas parties. Because I'm that honorary uncle that if I get one or two drinks in me, I'm touching everybody. Everybody listening to me? Because you have to be mindful that it looks like something. And then it says, true repentance results in a radical, persistent pursuit of holy living, walking with God in obedience of his commands. Amen. That's the kicker there. Change your mind. Change your mind. I want to reject my sin. I don't want to allow it to rule my life anymore. You say, Pastor, that sounds really easy. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because it hasn't been easy for me. It gets better. I'm a sinner who sins less today. I'm not intentionally pursuing it. I'm not looking for it. I'm not asking for it. There is something that I might think or say at a moment that I got to realize that um, 
If I don't fix it at the moment, it's going to carry its weight into the next day. Does everybody know what keeping short accounts is? Keeping short accounts is that if you've got to tell somebody something, you need to tell them. Now, again, you want to tell them the truth and be honest in love. You know what I'm saying? Because you want to give people a piece of your mind, and you walk away feeling good, but that person, you just destroyed them. And again, your life and the word of God don't line up when you do that. You say, oh, but I was telling them the truth. I was telling them the truth, yes, but you were not telling them the truth in love. You were being mean. You were being abusive. You felt good now. Oh, I feel better now. I let him know about himself. <laughs> but now that person doesn't feel as well. And we're supposed to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're supposed to bring relationships together. We're supposed to be people who carry peace into a situation. Objectively, two people are struggling, two people are fighting, and I step into the moment. I'm not siding with you. I'm not siding with him. I'm saying, hey, what does God say about this? Well, what is he quarreling about? Well, you know, he didn't do what I wanted him to do. He, she didn't do this. And I said, do you realize that the Bible says that the reason you quarrel is because you're so self-righteous and you don't get your way and you want to punish your spouse? Ooh, nobody wants that one. So, finally, as we come to the end, there are a few things we want to do as far as acknowledging repentance. I'm going to put them on the screen one at a time. And I couldn't leave without giving you kind of a roadmap to follow in regards to this. The first thing we want to do with repentance is we want to acknowledge the sin. Now, I know that your prayers are, are general, and you don't want your prayers to be general. You want them to be specific. What are you repenting about? Name it. The next thing is confessing the sin. The Bible says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen to me. Confession is good for the soul. You know? Confession is good. Why? Because you're as sick as your secrets. And the more that you keep it, and you're saying, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, but there's no repentance, there's no confession, there's no acknowledging that what you did hurt God, offended God, and that you come through him, you throw yourself in his mercy and says, God, forgive me for, and you name it. You name it. And you confess it. A lot of us are not naming it. We're coming with these general prayers to God and say, God, forgive me. You know, I did it again. What did you do again? What did you do again? You need to name it, confess it, and you're asking for forgiveness. Who are you asking for forgiveness? God. A lot of us assume that God has forgiven us. Have you asked God for forgiveness specifically for the things we just mentioned today? What is your unbelief, your idolatry, your pursuit of intentional sin, your denial that you're in sin because the Bible says... Well, all sin is we all fall short of the glory of God. And he who says it without sin calls God a liar. Come on now. Do you listen to what I'm saying? It's not me you're talking to now. It's God you got to reckon with. It's God you got to deal with. You got to get this right. And God is holy. 
And God doesn't want you to haphazardly come to him, right? Because he loves you and meets you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. That's why this progressive sanctification is something, because his end game is heaven. But how many of us are heaven bound but no earthly good? How many of us are useless? Are not doing anything for the Lord? People got to beg you to do something for the Lord. And if it's not you, let it fly, guys. I know that there are people here that are committed to serving, but it's serving your salvation, and you're wrong too. What he wants from you is a relationship, and because you have that relationship, you will serve joyfully. 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 You know, you, you, you set up the chairs in this room, and you go like this. Rather than saying, Lord, I pray for the person that's going to sit in this chair. I pray that you will keep them and love them and remind them, and you move to the next chair. But no, some of you are like, I got to do this again. Why I got to do it? Or somebody else don't do it. I tell my wife, unless you're cooking with love, don't feed me. So every now and then she puts something in front of me and I say, that you cook it with love. Because you're going to throw a plate at me. You're doing your duty, but you're not feeling it. You're not embracing it. And it's not because I'm asking you. It's because the Lord is telling us to do these things. The next thing is turning away from the sin. Let's turn away from it. I just gave you an illustration. I dropped it, I turned away from it, and I moved. As it comes up again, I am rejecting it. I am fleeing from it. I am speaking to it God's word. Slowly but surely it diminishes. But here's what I know about the insidiousness and the cunningness of the devil. He'll come back. He'll come back. He showed up in the wilderness when Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He showed up again in the garden of Gethsemane. So, so we have to be mindful that if our Lord was constantly being circled by the enemy, how much more are we going to be circled by him as well? So it's important, I'm going to say this again, it's important for you sitting in your seat to be in God's word to be in meditation, to be absorbing God's word, because that's the only thing that's going to defend you against the wiles of the enemy. Again, your life, God's word, have to connect. If it doesn't, you have to repent. Amen? And then we know about restoring the wrong done. I think the words we use in recovery is making amends. Right? I also learned from... from people, being around people, that we make amends when in doing so it's not going to harm somebody else. I want to restore the wrong that was done. We saw that in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus restored the wrong he done. He didn't just do it double. He did it fourfold. The amount he took from people, he gave them back double. That is a gratitude that is unmatched by anyone. The Bible talks about certain things, about going the extra mile. 
Well, why should I go the extra mile? Because it's an attitude of your heart. Well, Jesus, Jesus says, well, you know, you saw me thirsty, right? And you didn't give me, you know, you gave me something to drink and I was hungry. You, you know, you gave me something to eat. And, and people were saying, when, when do we see you? When do we give you something to eat and something to drink? He says, when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Listen to me. When you're doing something for someone else, I want you to begin to think and embrace this truth. I'm doing it to the Lord. So next time you open your mouth and you want to cut somebody up, next time you open your mouth and you want to cuss, next time you open your mouth and you want to say something harmful, think about that. You're not telling that person, you're telling it to God. Next time you want to steal, you're stealing from God. Next time you want to lie, you're lying to God. Next time that you want to go sleep around with someone, you're taking God with you. I know. It's supposed to stink. If you're walking in here and you're comfortable with your sin, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job. If I'm getting up here and I'm dancing, I'm giving you all these fancy words, it's not helping you. It's not helping the church collectively. That's why the church in the West is so weak in their power. They're great in service. They show up in disasters, but there's no one being delivered. There's no one being healed. There's no one being set free. We relapse continuously. We're in and out of the church continuously. There's no power because people don't want to tap into the power because to tap into the power means you got to change. You got to change. So, before we go any further, yes, thank you, Rosalind. I forgot completely. I appreciate you for doing that. Um, Rosalind just reminded me that we never collected the offering in the room. So as I pray, I'm going to let the men come into the room and do that. Um, and then I'm going to close, and we're going to walk to communion. But I want you to realize something. As, we've been, as you've been listening, you know, this thing about repentance, and I'm going to talk about the communion table. This thing about repentance is significant for us to continue. Because I preached a couple of weeks ago, and I asked people, why you do what you do? Like, why do we do Lent? Why do we do baptisms? Why do we do communion? Why do we have to come to church and gather in a room? Like, why do we have to tie to the church as a whole? Like, you know, why are you doing these things? We need to know, right? Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be a member of something, I need to know what that church is about. I need to know their doctrine. I need to know what they believe in. I need to know that the men and women that God has placed in leadership are men and women that are seeking after God. And that they're listening to God as they direct the church. Now, I'm flawed. If you hang out with me, you're going to realize that I'm flawed. But the Bible says that we're all marred jars of clay and that we leak. And that's why we constantly have to keep going back to the source of our filling. And the Holy Spirit in me today convicts me enough to drive me in a different direction. Now, we know that condemnation keeps us out further than we need to do, right? We get guilt and shame, and all of a sudden, I don't want to come back. You know, I don't want to show up. I'm afraid of what people think about me. Really? Like, you're concerned about what people think about you. I, I, I'm talking about like, oh, no, I can't, I can't go to church. They're going to ask me where I've been. <laughs> Listen to me. I've told everybody in the church, don't ask anybody where they've been. When they come in, thank you. Glad you're here. That's it. They're going to say, oh, where you been? You haven't been here in 10 weeks. I'm not coming back to that place. 
Come on, man. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you so much for a moment like this as we continue our worship throughout this service to be able to bring to you a mere portion of what you've given us, Lord. We realize, Lord, just like a little boy gave up his lunch and you were able to feed 5,000 with it, help us, Lord, as we go through this room and collect the tithes and the offerings that are cheerfully being given. Lord, that we would use it for your glory, that we multiply we will sow seeds in gardens that we will not see grow, that we will impact lives that we may not even see. So, Lord, I thank you for moments like this and the faithful that continue to give. I pray for those who cannot give. I pray that you would, Father, hallelujah, wake them up in the morning. Have them fill out resumes and applications and let them go out there and look for employment, Lord, because you will make a way where there is none. And you will open doors that no man can shut. So I thank you for the provision of this church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.